0: I'm going to ask you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide to look at the text that our sermon this morning is going to be based on. If you have a Bible in hand, we're in Luke chapter 9. Um, I'm going to be flipping around to a couple different passages during the time, so you're welcome to either turn your Bible on now or open it up if you have a, a manual copy. Um, let me just orient you a little bit to, to what's happening here. The gospel according to Luke, which we're looking at, we've been looking at for the last couple of months, uh, into last year really, it's a first century document. It's a very, very old uh, written document which describes the life, ministry, uh, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Luke's gospel is based on some of the most early eyewitness records of those who followed Jesus personally. And so when we, when we read this story, as miraculous as it is, we have to know that it's historically accurate. It faithfully depicts the experience of those who are there. It's a trustworthy account of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and why that matters to us. Luke tells us in the first chapter of his gospel that he has, he has an intention for why he's recording it in this way. It's so that his readers, whether they live in the first century or in the 21st century, that they would believe the good news about Jesus, that it is good news for them that they can find their rest, they can find peace with God through Jesus, that they can build their whole lives on following Jesus. Our text here in Luke 9 is one of the most famous stories, one of the most famous miracles in all of the Gospels. It's Jesus feeding the 5,000. So if you turn your attention uh, to, to the Scripture here in Luke 9, let me read it for us. On their return, the apostles told him, that is Jesus, all that they had done, And he, Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, "'Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside, to find lodging and get provisions.' For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves... And the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we pray that this reading of your word... Uh, and now this, this preaching, declaring of its sense, of, of what you are saying to us now, um, that we would receive it for what it is. It, it is your word to your people. It, it is bread. It is life. It's true, trustworthy, and worth building our whole lives on. So be with us now by your spirit, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite authors. I don't know if that name is familiar to to you or not. He wrote in the early 1900s. He wrote about the Christian life, about literature, politics. He wrote really broadly nonfiction, poetry, uh, some really good works of fiction. He had a huge influence on on probably my favorite author, C.S. Lewis. G.K. Chesterton, the man himself, he was a larger-than-life figure. He was, he was a, a huge man. Physically, he was huge, uh, but he had a huge personality to match. Uh, he was witty. He was sharp. He was bold. I can't help but like this about him. He was totally unafraid of confrontation with his fiercest critics. And there's a story I heard about a debate that Chesterton had in 1925 with the playwright and political activist George Bernard Shaw. I don't know if that name's familiar to you. Shaw was another literary heavyweight of the time, but physically he was a much slighter man than Chesterton. And as debates tend to go, things probably got a little hot between them. And, and as the story goes, during the course of the debate, Shaw, who also was a very witty fella, he meandered over to Chesterton, he patted his rather large belly, and he asked, What are you going to name it when it's born? And Chesterton, without skipping a beat, immediately responded, If it's a boy, I shall call him John. If a girl, I shall name her Mary. But if it's indigestion, I shall call it George Bernard Shaw. (laughs) And I I don't typically start my sermons with a joke, okay? There's a reason for this, all right? This story about Chesterton, while it's true, in my mind, is also just, it's a perfect picture of the man. Like, it encapsulates in just one quick story so much about Chesterton. Again, his wit his testiness, his warm humor. Of course, you can find these same elements in his books, in his lectures, in his poetry, but in this one story, it all all seems to come together, like a concentrated story, which gives us insight into such a remarkable man. And in Luke 9, we get something similar to this. Just a single, solitary story in the life of the undisputed, biggest, most significant, most influential person in all of human history, Jesus Christ. How could you possibly try to sum up a person like this? Like such a life. All of his teachings, his mercy, his mission to the world. And this is what I'm arguing for here. Here in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it all seems to come together. We get in the short, concentrated story, such insight into what kind of person Jesus, again, who is called Emmanuel, God with us, is. The story is significant. It's significant in that it's, it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospel writers. If you're familiar with the Bible, we know that there's four written accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this miracle is the only one that you can find in all four gospels. Some of his miracles you can find in one or two or three uh, recorded accounts. But other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we'll be celebrating next week, we hope to see you on Easter Sunday next week, um, only the feeding of the 5,000 is present in all four gospels. And that should tell you, this is a really important story story if you want to understand who jesus is this is really important this is again a concentrated story which uh which reveals how we are to relate to jesus how jesus relates to people what he means to us what he means to the world about jesus's message about his mission the story itself is Uh, If you're you're familiar with with the Bible and stories that have gone uh, before the time of Jesus, you're going to notice there's actually quite a lot of layers and allusions and images to other biblical stories. You don't need to be a a deep reader of the Bible to maybe pick up some of these. So readers familiar with the Bible will will recall other immense figures and other important historical moments that that have gone before that echo here in this passage. So Luke's readers, they might remember the story of Israel wandering in desolate places like is happening here in, in, in Luke chapter 9. Uh, a mass of people, a giant crowd, all of Israel wandering in the desert, starving without food, when Moses, by the hand of God, miraculously feeds the people with bread from heaven. I not know if you know that story. Maybe you'll remember the story of King David. This is a little bit more obscure. From 1 Samuel chapter 2, when he, when he and his men are wandering in, in desolate places, and he goes and he finds... Uh, he asks for five loaves of bread, very similar to Luke chapter 9, to feed the men who's following him. Or maybe, more obscure, this is Bible trivia, Second Kings chapter 4, when the prophet Elisha, one of the last greatest prophets, takes 20 loaves of bread and miraculously divides them and feeds 100 men who are with him. With food left over so so there's some echoes to previous stories and jesus as you can if you compare these stories in this brief story is being described as a figure who's greater than moses his miracle here is is greater than even that he's greater than king david greater than even elisha who is this man who is jesus what's he like how can you even begin to describe him and i think again the story of the feeding of the five thousand is just a great picture for us where things just again come together a concentrated story which gives us tremendous insight into jesus the sermon this morning we're going to divide it into three parts again each something each section revealing something significant about who jesus is and these are the three parts so part one christ welcomes the crowd part two he multiplies our offerings part three he breaks bread for the hungry so it's part one two and three we'll go through each of them in turn so part one is this christ welcomes the crowd if you want to know what jesus is like now, how he relates to people, it's this. He welcomes the crowd. Uh, if you look at verse 10 of our text, you see that Jesus takes his disciples away for what is actually probably something of like a retreat or a debrief. Uh, in this section just previous to, to this, chapter nine, verses one through nine, um, the disciples or the apostles, they were out preaching and healing themselves. And here, after they return, they tell Jesus everything that they had done. He withdraws with them, which, which literally means something like he goes aside privately with them, to bethsaida you know to to, to to relax for a little bit um this is uh bethsaida is a village on the north side of the sea of galilee this is in, in north israel but something significant happens look at verse 11 what happens the crowds hear of it and they followed him the retreat's over right quiet time's done the mobs arrived The crowd is actually kind of a character throughout the Gospels. Uh, The crowd is a fixture in, in so many different stories. The crowd is just this massive mixed bag of people who follow Jesus around wherever he goes. Some people in the crowd are genuine disciples. They've committed to following Jesus wherever he goes. Some of the crowd are actually opponents to Jesus. They kind of follow him around to see if he'll screw up, if he'll do something that they can disagree with. Let's see if they can catch him in an air um, some people in the crowd they just kind of want to be entertained jesus is doing kind of all kinds of cool things let's see if he does another healing that was interesting and some people are are kind of like many of us curious skeptical we want to see more we want to understand more so the crowd isn't like a monolith of like faithful obedient people the crowd's variously deeply needy loyal uh unsure skeptical and even in opposition to jesus and how does jesus react to this crowd how would you react to them? Would you say, like, well, you know, I'm on a retreat, so get lost. You know, come back later. Would you say, like, I'm tired of you following me around, coming to me over and over again with your immense needs. Or, you know, get yourself together, figure out how you relate to me first before you come. I just want a loyal crowd, not you, know, not you guys. No, that's not what happens. Look at verse 11. What does Jesus do? He welcomes the crowd. He spoke to them the kingdom of God. He cured those who had need of healing. Mark's Gospel, also recording this exact same event, this is how he writes it. He says, when Jesus saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does this story tell us about Christ? What does this concentrated image tell us? It so said Jesus welcomes the crowd. He has compassion on them. He cares for them. He pities them. He, he, he wants to speak good news of comfort to them to heal what's broken in them. Again, you have to fix in your mind that the crowd here is a seriously mixed bag, right? Today's the Sunday before we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the days where we remember, celebrate Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection three days later. Today's known in the church calendar as Palm Sunday, so the week before the crucifixion. This And Palm Sunday might take place as many as, as one or two years after the events here in Luke chapter 9. Same crowd, kind of following Jesus around. Uh, but this crowd uh, follows Jesus or, you know, um, some of them are present in the city of jerusalem where jesus travels south from galilee all the way down to the city of jerusalem and a crowd meets him john's gospel records palm sunday and this is what it says when jesus enters jerusalem the large crowd again this kind of mixed bag of people they heard that jesus was coming into jerusalem so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying hosanna and that's a, that's like a hebrew expression of praise hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Man, they've got, the crowd's got great things to say about Jesus. They get all worked up. They celebrate. And in their enthusiasm, they just start screaming praise when they see Jesus coming. But this same crowd, just a few days later, will get worked up again. And this time, they'll shout something different in unison. So when we get to John chapter 19, we hear about the day when the Roman governor, Pilate, brings the arrested Jesus again before the crowd. And he says to them, behold your king. And they cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus looks out at the crowd and he knows what's in them. He knows their volatile, their capricious nature. He knows the things that they'll shout uh, to him, also the things that they'll shout at him in the years that will come. He also knows that many of them are broken and hurting. And so Christ, in his compassion, because he's so merciful, he's so patient, he welcomes the crowd. This is what Jesus is like. We need to fix this in our mind. Whoever you are, whatever condition you find yourself coming in this morning, you might be a hot mess. <laughs> you know, you've got tons of questions about Jesus that, that linger. You might even feel angry at him. Jesus welcomes you. You might be messy and doubtful and inconsistent. You are hot for the faith one day and utterly cold the next. Jesus welcomes you. Again, you you might not be sure about approaching Jesus, but listen, his offer to welcome you always stands. Jesus isn't worried about your problems. Your problems should be worried about Jesus, but, but, but he's not worried about your problems. You might think that you're going to weary him out i'm coming to you again with the exact same needs i'm coming to you again just as i was before messy and jesus sees your needs and he welcomes you you're not interrupting him you're not bothering him he will not send you away he welcomes all who come to him the story just pictures this so well so that that's part one christ welcomes the crowd this mixed bag this multitude of different kinds of folks he welcomes them part two he multiplies our offerings he multiplies our offerings starting in verse 12 the day wears on and it begins to approach dinner time the crowd's getting hungry and the and the disciples they they approach jesus and they give jesus some advice which is just like one of the great moments in biblical history jesus let let's let me give you some advice i think i think you're missing something here this is what you should do you should tell the crowds to go away it's late everyone's hungry and we're in the middle of nowhere and they're going to need a place to sleep great advice right again in your mind, remember, this is, this is a massive crowd. This is 5,000 people. So it's like, I think, pretty much like the lower bowl of, uh, of a moose heads game, completely filled, shoulder to shoulder with with people. And you might notice, actually, that it particularly indicates 5,000 men. And so likely there are women and children present, so the number's much larger. Um, And women and children are typically happily counted. They're included in numbers throughout the New Testament. Um, But most scholars believe that only the men are counted here and described so that we get a particular kind of image in our mind, something of a a martial image. This is like an army being gathered together in the wilderness. So when ancient Israel was wandering in the wilderness after their exodus out of Egypt, they also counted their numbers according to their fighting force, according to the men present. And so... The picture that we're probably being given here of 5,000 men is that you've just got this this swell of needy, hungry, tired, sweaty, smelly, easily angered, not easily satisfied men, 5,000 of them, looking at Jesus, looking at the 12 disciples, their stomachs rumbling as the sun slowly fades in the West. And it's a moment like from a movie, a comedy maybe even, the disciples look at the crowds. They look at Jesus. Jesus looks at the disciples. And in verse 13, you look at it there, Jesus says to them, "You give them something to eat." And there's probably, there's silence. There's a pin drop. Like, what are you what are you what are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> like that's impossible like don't put this on us. <laughs> we've got our dinners, right? They've got the basic uh, agrarian, you know, kind of fare for uh, an impoverished ancient people. Five simple probably barley loaves, a few fish between all 12 of them. <laughs> like we can't possibly feed, feed this army of 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 men with what we've got. Right, Jesus? I don't know if you remember from last week, if you were here for the sermon, but Jesus loves to involve his disciples in his work. He doesn't just teach them. He he gives them work to do. And we see that happening right here in Luke 9. Jesus doesn't just teach his disciples. He brings them into his work. If you look at the middle of verse 14, he gives his disciples instructions. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to seat the men into groups of 50. So by my math, that means 500 groups. I didn't have my calculator. That's that's right, right? Fifty. We're okay with that? Okay, 50 groups, 5,000 men. We're just going to assume that's right. Uh, And they're being seated. And they're being seated by the disciples like, like, like waiters, right? Like they're seating guests at their tables as they prepare for a great banquet. And the disciples at this point are probably getting quite nervous. But you know what happens in this story. Jesus takes what little the disciples have to offer him. Just a few loaves, just a few fish. And in his hands, he multiplies it. He doesn't give everyone just a crumb right that's not what the story is saying he uses what little the disciples have and jesus does infinitely more with it than they could ever do on their own and this is such a picture of jesus it encapsulates so much of who he is and what he loves to do he multiplies our offerings this is what he likes he loves doing this when we look at the needs within our own church when we look at the needs in our family in our city in our world we really ought to feel the same kind of crushing inadequacy that the apostles must have felt as they looked out at this sea of five thousand hungry men like how how can we possibly show care and help the real needs of the people among us and around us who carry such incredible need incredible pain how can we be obedient to christ's calling to to his disciples Um, when he asks us to feed them. When when clearly his ask is far beyond our own resources and our own abilities. If you know your Bible, you know that Jesus gave the church her marching orders after his resurrection and before his ascension. In Matthew chapter 28, often called the Great Commission. And essentially, the commission to the church, to not just me, but to all of us, is is this. Um, He says, there's the world... In all of its lostness, misery, anger, and hatred, I want you to go out into it, go everywhere, baptize everyone, make disciples of everyone. There you go. And we look at the world, this, this like sweaty, angry, hungry, needy world. The world looks at us, and Jesus turns to us and says, you give them something to eat. And this, this is our hope. This is what we need to hold on to, that Christ will multiply whatever offerings we give to him because that's what he's like. That, that he'll take our church's tiny faithfulness, our preaching the gospel uh, here in Halifax, uh, our work in raising the children of this church together to love Jesus, our small invitations to coworkers, to come to the Mark study or come to Sunday worship, that when Christ takes these things into his hands, he blesses them. He, he does infinitely more than we could ever do on our own. And this story is such a picture of what Christ still loves to do. This is his plan to, to feed the needs of a hungry world, to bring the kingdom of, earth, uh, kingdom of God to earth. It is through the hands of his disciples, receiving from him what they offer and him multiplying them. So what is this story picture of Jesus? Well, again, part one, Christ welcomes the crowd. Part two, he multiplies our offerings. And this is the last part. Part three He breaks bread for the hungry. This is what the story pictures of Jesus. This is what he loves to do. He loves to break bread for the hungry. If you look at verse 16 with me, uh, we see the moment, the magic moment. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up. 12 baskets of broken bread, broken pieces, rather. The hungry army is, is, is fed. They eat, they're satisfied, and there's plenty to spare. It was a rich banquet. Now, th- this is an amazing miracle, right? I didn't hear anyone gasp or say ooh or ah. Maybe you're familiar with this story. But this story is more than just a food miracle, all right? It's so much more than that. It's not just a neat trick. To impress us about Jesus' power. This is a sign. A sign is something that's significant. A sign, you can go, on, go on to any highway, a sign is there to point us to something. This sign points out something. It directs us somewhere else. In John's gospel, the significance, the sign value of the feeding of the 5,000 is made really clear. The bread points us to Jesus. It points to Jesus being broken for us so that we can live And this is how John tells the story in John chapter 6. So the same miracle, John chapter 6, the next day, the day passes, the crowd returns to Jesus, and guess what? They're hungry again, right? They had had a great meal the night before, but now they're hungry again. They got bread. What do they need today? They need more bread. And so Jesus in John chapter 6, he tells this crowd, the same crowd that he's just fed, he said, don't work for food that perishes, but but for the food that endures to eternal life, which I will give you. And then a few verses later, Jesus promises that the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowd, that sounds really good. And so they say, sir, give us this bread always, this bread that will last forever. And Jesus looks at the crowd, and he says these words. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is what the story captures so well about Jesus. Jesus welcomes the crowd. He multiplies our offerings, but the bread that he breaks and puts in our hands to receive and to give to others for our hunger is himself. He is the bread of life. Whatever good deeds you want to offer other people, you know, you want to give them food, you want to give them kind words, service, this will never be enough. This will never satisfy their deepest hungers, their deepest needs, because only Christ can satisfy them. The best and greatest good that you or we as a church can offer to this world that is hungry, angry, frustrated, tired, is to offer Christ himself. To offer him for all of their deepest needs, their hungers, and their wants. This is the central drama of the Bible. We can't miss this. This is the reason why Christ has come, why he suffered and died. It's because this, world, this world's a wilderness. And either our souls will receive and feed on the bread from heaven, on Christ himself, or we die. And so friends, this is the invitation of Jesus for all of us who gather here now, for all of those who are in this city that God loves. This is the invitation that Jesus gives for those who hunger. he He offers himself to them. He welcomes you, all of your messes, all of your needs. He won't turn anyone away. He offers to use this church, the people who surround you, to actually bring this bread to you, to serve you. But to have life, you must come to Jesus. You must come to him with empty hands to receive him. Let's finish with this. There was a, a poet in the 4th century, a Roman guy named Prudentius, wrote a lot of beautiful things. And, and this is a poem that I came across this week uh, as he reflected on the feeding of the 5,000. This is what he wrote. It doesn't rhyme great, but it's, it's poetry, so that's okay. Christ said, "Place in these 12 baskets all the fragments that remain. Thousands at that feast reclining with abundance had been fed. On the five loaves they had eaten and two fishes multiplied. You are bread, our true satisfaction, never failing sweetness are. He can never no he can never more know hunger." who is at your banquet fed nourishing not our fleshly nature but imparting lasting life instead so this is the invitation this is what this this story of Jesus feeding the 5000 pictures so clearly where everything just comes together the kind of god we serve who jesus is he welcomes you to come to him to hear his welcome to come and receive the bread from his hands which is christ himself given for you let's pray Father in heaven, we acknowledge this morning everything that we are lacking and and the many different sources that we've gone to to try to satisfy our hurts and our needs and our wants. And we ask that you'd help us to hear your welcome and to see your offer of yourself. The bread that we grab for ourselves, the immediate gratification, the things that we think will satisfy us, they don't. leave us hungry the next day and so father we ask that you would give us taste buds uh, for eternal things that we would hunger and thirst for what will last and so we ask that you would help us to see you uh, to receive you gratefully as you are offered to us in the good news we pray that in jesus name amen